Hello, 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 and welcome to the Burnham Project Podcast. I am your host, Brendan Burnham, the project superintendent, the project manager. We here on the Burnham Project come and gather to discuss a few things of history, a few things about books, uh, maybe a little bit of music. I'm not much of a music buff, but, you know, I have definitely done my uh, hardest to this point, and I will continue to do so, to understanding life. And when you specialize in something, some people want to understand the life of a plant. That is fantastic. They become great gardeners. Some people want to understand uh, the history of rocks. They become amazing geologists. Well, they have to build up to that, and it's a massive project. And I have seen many people work on their own projects and Maybe you can help me with mine. You see, my project that I am working on is one of understanding just how terribly devastating uh, really fanatical movements can be. And I don't mean radical. I mean fanatical. Fanatics can't be changed. Radicals can be changed. uh, But also, radical is a point of view. The last couple weeks here on the Burn Project, you know, We've recommended that you share the podcast because it was a historical uh, topic. I think one that really puts out there a viewpoint of somebody that loves America and understand. I understand. I I think everybody else would agree. No, it's not perfect. Name a perfect country out there. It doesn't exist, right? Well, that doesn't mean we go destroy everything and then start over. That that's really. It's from a business point of view, what a waste. What a waste. I mean, it's called sunk cost. Once you spend money on something, it's gone. Unless it's an investment. If it's an investment, there's amount of risk because of what you're going to get back. If you even get it back, right? That's the risk. So to destroy a system and start all over from the beginning, which is what it really seems like one side wants because they're still attacking people and still breaking stuff and it's clearly clearly a different movement it's been all throughout the news and the paper if if you can find people who are honest that that you don't know what their agenda is i think it's fairly clear that there's a whole nother movement and they're fanatics and if you've ever wondered where do these fanatics come from well the burn project We'll answer that. You know, I don't try to copy other people's podcasts. I I want a podcast that is, is generally something very unique, but informative, and also helps under, uh, explain to you. Maybe you know you're not a conservative, and if you're not, I really hope that you would give it a give it a, a chance here. I think some people uh, let their emotions get the best of them. Hey, you can hang in there an hour. You're a tough person. These are just words anyways, right? These are just words. I don't think I've said anything radical right now. You know, I don't know anybody who really agrees with breaking other people's property. Uh, If you're the kind of person that thinks we should be breaking your neighbor's windows or a business's windows or a building's windows, maybe you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. You should probably go get some help. But if you're like me and you say, that's bad, I, I remember when we clearly would say stuff like burning buildings is wrong, maybe 
you go get some professional help. But if, if you're somebody who agrees that, yeah, that's, that's not stuff we should be doing, give the burn project a chance. If you like it, if you think it's not this radical that I've been told he is, then share it with somebody. And I do my best to, to make sure it's family friendly. So, you know, you can listen to it while you're, you're driving uh, with whatever, you know, you got up in that, 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 that vehicle. So it's also dog friendly and, and cat friendly too. And if you have other pets, bless you. But here on the Burnham Project, you know, we spent a little bit of time talking about uh, pre-Civil War and even uh, during the Civil War, we talked about Lincoln. Because last week was, uh, you know, the first time a, uh, or that's when Abraham Lincoln gave his speech, right? He gave a lot of speeches. Anywho, this this week in the Burnham Prod podcast, I was really, really struggling on what the topic should be. In fact, I delayed, sorry to my fans, I delayed the release by a whole day because I wasn't sure. There were a lot of things, but I really, after some uh, searching and thinking, I decided that we should talk about a book. When I was a, a, a very young kid, my first book I learned to read was Mickey Mouse Learns How to Fly. But I didn't really learn how to read it. I memorized uh, what my dad said with the words, and I showed my grandma. And uh, I probably omitted a few words. And uh, bless her heart, she said, readers are leaders. And she, uh, she thought it was awesome that I knew how to read. And she made me feel so good. I was like four years old. And um, maybe I was five. I don't want to say I'm an early, early riser like that. But one thing I took from that, and I've always kept it with me my entire life, and so far we're at almost 35 years. So for 30 years, I've had this philosophy with me that readers are leaders. In fact, there have been so much uh, written on just the topic of reading, that it is, it is, it's incredible. Well, what kind of leader do you want to be from reading? Well, there's books on how to be a leader, what a leader means, what ethics are for a leader. It, it's incredible how much you can gain out there. And now we can do it at the, you know, palm of our hands, the world's biggest library in our hands. However, sometimes it's really nice to go and pinpoint a certain topic and Eric Hoffer pinpoints a topic. If I say, hey, you want to write a book on uh, mass movements of human beings in the current uh, you know, popular culture and do it in like 17 chapters or less, I think that's a tall order. 17 chapters and make them small chapters, real small chapters. Well, Eric Hoffer did that and he did it back in the 50s. Now, who is Eric Hoffer? Ah, yes, good question. Who? Eric Hoffer is also known as the Longshoreman Philosopher. And when I've read books from a time frame of where he's from, or political books, I, I always find that they kind of miss the definition of what a conservative is. And if I could just paraphrase, because it's just one little paragraph, and I'd read it if I didn't lose the place just now, but I'll paraphrase. He, he uh, defines a conservative, Eric Hoffer, he does. And he says... A conservative is somebody who looks to the past to justify the present. Man, that's somebody who really doesn't do anything presently. They're pretty content. They don't want things to change. 
And that's it. That's kind of how he uh, defines a conservative. And I first read his wisdom on a conservative when I was in the Marine Corps. <clears throat> now, when somebody hands you a book, I think it's uh, just as important to see what kind of person is handing you the book as the person who wrote the book. And uh, sometimes you can see just how powerful an author is because by the end of the book, the person has adapted their philosophy. Well, <clears throat> that means I need to explain to you who I am because I'm a conservative. I'd like to think that uh, I would be a very well-defined conservative. I'm not a member of the conservative party because I do believe there is a, a party. In fact, I know there is. There's a party called the conservative party. There's the Constitutional Party. These are all current current parties. There's the Libertarian Party. You might have heard of them. There's the Republican Party. And uh, the largest one is the Democrat Party. That is the largest party system. I, I, I don't know if that's living or living and dead, but that is the largest party. And then it goes Republican. And somewhere in there, there's some other parties, lots of other parties. So when people say that we need a third party, We've already discussed this terribly in detail. That's what the Republican Party was, and it's now become the second biggest party. Because at one point, uh, uh, the two parties were not uh, the two parties of today. And they changed because of mass movements. And Eric Hoffer uh, discusses that. But he really discusses the 20s, 30s, 40s, you know, in that time frame, because that's what he can see. And Eric Hoffer also known as a longshoreman philosopher, never actually had an official education. As a young boy, he learned to read, and uh, he was a very proliferate reader. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I butchered that word, but he did read a lot. Not only that, he could read in English and German and Latin, and uh, he, he definitely was a very, very smart man. And he wrote a book about the true believer, about the person who joins these mass movements that change a party from being a, a nothing party in the 1850s to a presidential candidate and then a nominated president in a party. Those are all mass movements. And it's important that we understand these mass movements because there's one going on outside our door right now in this country. And recent history is still history. And here on the Burnham Project, I would ask that people share this so they can get a better understanding of, of what history in the United States is. Both in the recent past and in the early stages of this country. And if we really want, we can go all the way back to history in Europe. It's It's everywhere. There's a history before 1492, before Christopher Columbus came here. We can definitely talk about who was here before all that in this place, because we know there's civilizations. We've uncovered amazing things. It just, it's not talked about. Because that was before ah, the Europeans touched soil over here. But anyways, so Eric Hoffer, just an incredible... Uh, man with no real education, self-taught, writes these books and becomes a favorite 
of many, including even Eisenhower for his uh, for his philosophical writings and uh, really sociology uh, type uh, writings and findings. So if that's a book that interests you, I'd recommend that you go look it up. And the author is Eric Hoffer. Now, to talk a little bit more about what he doesn't define is where I've got to pick it up. Because here in the Burn Project, uh, you know, we want to expand and, and build upon our knowledge base. And this is what I believe a conservative is. Because remember, Eric Hoffer says that it's somebody who's looking at the past, history, and uses it to justify the present. And they find that if, if things aren't bad, or if the, the bad things are there, they eventually work themselves out. It's a really blase blase attitude towards injustice, if you will. And for that, conservatives have really uh, taken one over the back. Because what conservatives really are, are people that don't want to be bothered. And so most of the time, they don't go out of the way to bother others. And some people see that as, as an injustice in itself. And certainly, I think that is a, an aspect of conservatism. No, no, I don't mean <clears throat> that we believe in injustice. It's that we recognize it and that it'll work itself out. And that the best way to work it out is usually through a peaceful means. And we see and we will fight for an, in, an injustice that is worth fighting for. And, there, and, and it, it's been proven in, in history. You know, Churchill, who is now a radical figure to have a statue of. Remember, Obama started uh, getting rid of the statues in the Oval Office when he got rid of Churchill and then uh, sent it back. Sent it back over the Atlantic Ocean. Gave back a gift to another country. I mean, I think that's a little rude. I, I don't know too much about why you would ever want to give back a gift, but I think that's pretty rude. <clears throat> now, these conservatives, who Ch Churchill even kind of says, because he kind of thinks America, can, compared to Europe, right, is very conservative, and he says, you know, Americans don't always, you know, always uh, do the right thing right now, but eventually they do. Eventually they will. It's because America, for the longest time, we just wanted to be left alone. I think that goes all the way back to the, the very beginning and foundings of this country. But we changed after World War One, and definitely even more after World War Two. And one thing about World War Two that, thankfully, we didn't have to worry about because we're on a whole separate side of the world, is the massive spread of communism, the fast, I should say, and bloody uprising of communism. And that's where the true believer really explains the mind frame of who it is that joins these mass movements. And a conservative would only join a mass movement if they felt like it benefited their values, which is why anybody would join a mass movement. And if they don't have values, they're given some, and then they have to find a purpose. And conservatives have a purpose in life just like anybody else. And if I was going to actually define who a conservative is, I would say it's just somebody that wants to leave well enough alone, as long as well enough alone leaves them alone. But that doesn't mean that we wouldn't stand up and fight for things that we need to fight for. 
And I definitely think one area that we need to fight for is our history. To tear down a statue, to deface a, a monument of uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan in Austin, Texas, <laughs> is, is silly. Do these people, they, they don't know what they're doing. It's, it's an indoctrination, and thankfully, you know, being a conservative is not something you just wake up and, and be, you have to arrive. You know, I, I believe a, a true conservative is one of the most intellectual and understanding people, because the only way to really fix a lot of these things is to take action, but it's through peaceful means, and then so many of us give up. When I say us, so many people that are, are willing to hold on or hold the line on a, on a principle, Let's say that principle is free speech, the First Amendment. But there's some of us that eventually will just give up. And the other side never gives up. The other side is constantly trying to build the perfect system. And they eventually recruit enough people to do so. And one, one area that you, you have to work on when it comes to uh, life is your foundation. And being a conservative... At your foundation, you have to have a core understanding and principle of what it means that you get to be free. What does freedom mean and liberty mean? It's not a, a perfect world because we tend to, to want to regulate it and then regulate it until it dies. And that's what socialism is. It's that slow, gradual regulation to the Marxism but there's really no change. <clears throat> now, when I read books like Eric Hoffer's, it helps me gain this, uh, this personal philosophy of my own that I've just shared with you. You know, if you read it, you might get a different, uh, completely different point of view altogether. Well, I'll read you in the second segment somebody who somehow arrived at a completely different conclusion than my own on how to apply Eric Hoffer. Uh, to today's society, and I mean, well, President Trump. So stick around for the next segment, and uh, let's talk a little bit about the present, because here on the Burnham Project, we talk past, present, and uh, I dare say, predict the future. Welcome to the second segment. You know, these 20 minutes, they sure go by quick. 
And sometimes when I'm doing them, uh, you know, with my state-of-the-art recording studio, I got this expensive microphone, I can't even use it. Hello? Anyways, welcome to the Burnham Project. This is the second segment. I try to do 20-minute segments. I think they're fairly easy to put together. Uh, the premise of this show on the Burnham Project is that, uh, you know, we, we talk about some uh, more philosophical stuff. It'll never be heavy-hitting TMZ material. Uh, I, I can't swing at, at those those leagues. They're, uh, they are journalism at its finest and uh, everything else. But what I think that I can do is just provide an interesting conservative res- uh, perspective uh, somebody and you know how I got there because we all arrive right and, and, and how did we get there I think there was a song like that and if I had the money to really put together a show man maybe I, I'd have the money to pay for those those rights until then I will use my royalty free music thank you at freepd.com public domain so you know, I try to, to sum up what a conservative is really quick. And here on the Burnham Project, uh, we've really spent some time talking about history. But on this episode, I, I feel it's really necessary to define a conservative. Now, in the first segment, I gave a really, man, it's hard to condense it because it's such a broad word, conservative. Uh, there's a lot of people I've talked to, I, I ask them, and they say they're conservative. I ask, what does that mean to you? You know, we need to listen when we ask questions. Bring up tough questions, but listen. Sometimes the answers are tough answers. And if you ask a question, you're going to get an answer. Now, is that the right answer or the wrong answer? There's only a few places where it's going to be an obvious right answer because mathematics would be one of them, right? But anyways... Conservatives, I, I, I think, are very common sense folk. And when I ask them... What is a conservative? Well, I had one gentleman at a rest stop somewhere, West Nevada, desert, still in the desert, so we weren't up to Carson City yet. He said he's a conservative. I said, what does that mean? And he identified it as uh, somebody who's Christian. I asked, well, can a Muslim be a conservative? Can a Jew be a conservative? What about a Buddhist? What about an atheist? I didn't ask that last part, but I, I did ask... What kind of Muslim or a Jew? And the answer is yes, of course. But part of his conservatism is expressly defined by his religion. There's a very broad religion, right? There's several different sects of Christianity. <clears throat> I've asked others, what does a conservative mean? And uh, they've said things like uh, knuckle dragger, somebody who's confused, and somebody who's lost. Well, I don't think that that definition does not apply to me. And I would say that I am a conservative. And so if you tune in here, you're going to get a conservative point of view. A shocker, I know. But we should be honest with who we are and, and what we believe in. And I gave a really crude definition, a really quick definition of how well conservatives look at the past to, to figure out what to do currently. But it, it's that simple. You know, not everything in life has to be a complex, complex answer. Uh, 
And uh, sometimes it's the simple things that can fun, just absolutely confuse people. And I want to say the Bible even talks about, you know, that type of stuff. Well, the Bible does play a big part in, in what, a, what I choose to, to do in my life, my personal decisions in my life. Okay, you know, what you choose to do with your personal decisions are your personal decisions. And that's part of the, the philosophy of Christianity. And it's a very live-let-live live belief system. I mean, there is missionary work. You know, the Lord does ask us to go out and, and be missionaries and to live the gospel and to not hide away from, from the name of a Christian. So <clears throat> how should we do that? Why should we do it? How should we do it? You know, these are simple questions that we should ask. And when you ask about other philosophies, well, why should uh, we read this book or why should we read that book? And I would recommend that you read uh, several books, one being Liberty versus Tyranny. I think that one does a great job of explaining a situation of good versus evil, of, of a belief system that creates tyranny, where there is no choice, there is no freedom, and the other one that is literally freedom. And what's crazy is I say things like liberty and freedom. I, my Twitter name is Take Back Liberty. I made that when Twitter was young because I thought maybe I'd do that. Maybe I'd enjoy Twitter. And to this day, I really don't. But that's where I share what I read. It's uh, where I'll share this article uh, about Eric Hoffer, who I talked about briefly in the first uh, segment. But, <clears throat> you know, we have this opportunity to discuss these things and and to to talk about what a conservative is and how many of us have actually taken the time to look into what helps us come to a an answer a conclusion a conservative conclusion conclusion that builds upon the definition of what a conservative would do in in a situation well you have to look at what we read and that's why i recommend liberty and tyranny uh, because there are some of us that that believe in liberty and that's what we we preach, and that's what we, we want to talk about, and that's what we want everybody to enjoy. Liberty for all. And we also want justice, because, you know, if you if you steal from me, I would like back what, that, what you have stolen. Or be recompensed for the damages, right? Justice. At one point, it was eye for an eye. Well, now, uh, you know, Justice has become, well, at one point it was much more civil, and now I don't know what it is, because uh, there's so much going on. But nonetheless, we all read sometimes from the same text and come to different conclusions. And when it comes to the conclusion of defining liberty, you know, I have one belief that uh, might be completely the opposite for another. And when I read about uh, books on why people do these mass movements, my conclusion and the application of this author's content could be completely misconstrued by another. And to give you an example of that, you know, I, I've torn down the media, the, the news media, the MSN, CNN, uh, some of these elements that are overtly and openly anti, anti-Trump. It's just, just what it is. You know, those that, that believe everything they say on there they're the fanatic, and I don't think they would last this long listening to a podcast like this. 
because I, I just said they're fanatic. But let's say that they're not. Maybe they want to actually understand why I think they're a fanatic. Well, in the first segment, I talked about Eric Hoffer, and he writes extensively about these mass movements. And he uses the final example and the final solutions of Germany, and literally the final solution in the Third Reich, but also the end results of communism around the world. And he puts it in this book and, and how people do it and, and how some people get sucked in or, or become a part of the movement. And the, I think the craziest thing about this book is it was given to me uh, to read a few parts from, and then I had to go out and buy my own copy because he took it back, by, by a Marine. And I truly believe that if we go out and buy our own copy of the book, you know, we're more likely to read it. So go out, pick up Eric Hoffer, The True Believer, The Thoughts of the Nature of Mass Movements. Thoughts on the Nature of Mass Movements. Uh, and here we have an, an, I guess he's an author. It's on the politicsmeanspolitics.com website. So he's a writer, of course. You know, we can all be a writer. He says, Eric Hoffer's The True Believer, the book, the book that I just uh, mentioned and said you should go buy a copy of, In the Time of Trump. And this was written back in 2017. So this is great because one thing I love about history is you, you can go back up, you can dust it off, and you can be like, look, this is what they said. And here, this is, you know, 2017. And uh, I'll share that on, on Twitter. So don't worry. Uh, take back liberty. Find me. Uh, and if anybody wants to pod or search me, just search Burnham Project Podcast. How do you spell Burnham? Well, B-U-R-N-M. Burnham. Uh, but don't burn them. Don't burn the books. Don't do that. That's what, uh, that's what the Third Reich did. And uh, that's actually, he was not the first to do it, by the way. We could talk about that some other time. But uh, this gentleman... <clears throat> takes what Eric Hoffer writes about mass movements and he's trying to apply it to, to the current president. And I'm going to say this in, in defense, and this is why if you're on the other side, you might want to listen because you'd how could anybody ever vote for this man? Uh, this vote for this Donald Trump? Well, maybe I'll explain that someday, but let's apply a little bit of our history that we know to the present because that's what conservatives do. We're going to look at a little bit of the history that's going on and apply it to the present. And well, the history I'm looking at right here is being cited and used for a completely different purpose by this Greg Campbell. Right? Greg Camp. I'm sorry. Greg Camp. Politics means politics. All right, Greg Camp. I'm not one to belittle, but we both read the same book. And you want to apply it to Donald Trump. And this is how, this is how I know that it's, uh, that it's obviously an opinion piece. Because he says... In the era of Trump, voices of rationalization that call us out from, out of the whirlwind for a moment are increasingly necessary treatment, an oxygen mass that allows us to restore brain function as to work out where we are headed and what can be done about it. This is even true. This is true even when the person speaking to us from almost 70 years ago, I have in mind here a short book by Longshoreman writing in the off moments not loading freight, Eric Hoffer's The True Believer. So here he is. He's reading the same book. The same book that I've read, and he's going to read it to you. Now, he says that the uh, central thesis of Eric Hoffer's book, and the central thesis is is really simple. You know, this is how mass movements are caused, and he explains all the different ways. I don't know if he's missed any, <clears throat> but uh, that's really his central thesis. However, he says the central thesis 
according to Greg, is that mass movements offer to people who believe themselves to have spoiled lives an opportunity to set aside the self and become a part of a collective action that provides a purpose and substitute identity. Now, he's not completely wrong because there are people in this book that did live a privileged life that don't know what to do with it. And so they feel guilty. And so they go give up something or become something. Some people move off to a mission, right? Some, some people, it's Christianity. They give up everything and they go serve a, a mission in the Southeast uh, Amazon or the Southeast Indian subcontinent. Like, who knows, right? Well, some people join the military. Uh, they swear off all their luxuries and they join the military. Some people swear off all their luxuries and become a monk. You know, there are several people that do that. And some people do it that are poor. They swear off all their poverty and join the military. They swear off all their poverty and, and join a cult. They swear off all their poverty and go serve a mission, right? Some people find a purpose in everywhere. So, you know, the, to say the central thesis is one thing about uh, just spoiled rich people is not doing justice to Eric Hoffer. So that's why you got to go read these things yourself, right? But Greg continues. <sighs> the True Believer is among a handful of books that once read seem always and forever obvious, as if there was never a time before the reading. So Greg doesn't even read, right? He didn't even really read this book. Or if he did, he didn't finish it. Because it's quite obvious that I just said that there's more than just spoiled people. You can't make a central thesis on mass movements and not talk about everybody on the spectrum of, of financial growth within a family unit, right? And then you got to talk to people that aren't in the family unit, people that are alone, that are drifters, and then the different types of people within those family units and without those family units. Let's just give Greg the benefit of the doubt that, uh, you know what? He did read it, but he just wants to drag out a very specific chapter and apply it to Donald Trump. And that he really is an honest and fair guy. So we're going to get to the third paragraph, and he says, This book, The True Believer, is especially the case now after witnessing a mass movement sweep of failed businessmen and reality TV star into the White House. If you're worth $50 million, I would not say you're a failed businessman. If you're worth five hundred. Million dollars, I'm not going to say you're a failed businessman. If you're worth $5 billion, I might say you're a failed businessman if I'm a hack, if I'm a political hack. Because that's about what Donald Trump was worth when he entered office. $5 billion. Now you can say that he swore off all of his wealth and, and fortune to some degree and apply that he is some kind of true believer for a system. I, I, I get that, Greg. I get it. But to call the man a failed businessman means that you really just want people within your echo chamber. I don't do this podcast just so I can have an echo chamber so people just listen and say, oh man, this guy, he talks the way I want him to talk and he makes me think the way that I wanted to think. No, everybody can think for themselves. If you go read the books, when you read the book, you don't even have to get three paragraphs in to know that you're full of crap, Greg. But this is recent history. This is recent history. But not only that, he goes on to cite the fourth chapter and he talks about the failures of misfits, outcast criminals and all those who have lost their footing or never had one. Undesirables. He might as well have called them deplorables. 
So he quotes Eric Hoffer and says that all the failures and criminals and all, all the outcasts and misfits. And of course, he's joking when he says you might as well call them deplorables because who did Senator and Secretary of State Hillary Clinton refer to as deplorables? The Trump voters. There's just some people out there that they're, you know, we'll just call them deplorables. And obviously, he's making fun of that. That were also more eloquently defined as failures, misfits, outcasts, and criminals, and all those who have lost their footing or never had one. This is 2017. This is what they think a conservative is. Do you think that's what a conservative is? A criminal? An outcast? A failure? Quite the opposite. Have I felt like an outcast at times? Absolutely. But I'm not a failure. Life is an ever-perfecting process, people. Just because you had one bad event doesn't mean it's over. That's also part of what I believe is a good conservative philosophy. Conservatives don't just give up, and I would encourage everybody else that is a conservative, if you don't want to give up, I would say, please, uh, take the time, share this podcast. You know, there are a, a younger generation of, you know, the deplorables, if you want to call them, Greg, that. But we're, we're growing up and and we're realizing that the lies that you're telling us just, they fall flat. They fall real flat. And there are young people around us that need to know that they're not alone in saying that doesn't make sense, that that's wrong. And that's really what, you know, I, I try to do here with the Burnham Project is build an understanding of who we are and that we're not alone and and this is something that affects us all and it's it's a timeless philosophy you know love thy love thy neighbor doesn't say love them uh, until the 15th of july and then maybe pick back up october no it's not a bad philosophy folks and I, i don't know what part of that would make your head spin if you're a somebody who considers himself left of center you know because I don't want to define you but if you're somebody who would say that you're left of center I don't know what what was just said that would make you mad what you would disagree with you know we all want to be taken care of we all want to be honest we all want to read honest uh, writings and I don't know why some people find it so hard to do so but if you want to know really how the mass movements apply it applies to everybody, everybody that, that's acting, really, I, I think, uncivilized. If you're breaking windows that aren't your windows to break, that's, that's uncivilized. They're not the only ones that start mass movements, folks. And if you stick around, we'll talk about the mass movement that's going on right now. And it's consumed. And I told you in the first one, if you stick around uh, for the teaser, I'll explain a little bit of how this is all a Marxist movement.
feel like I'm uh, going to storm a castle or something with that music. Some champion being made at forged in a fire. Oof. Well, this is the third segment. And if you made it this far, you are getting forged in the fire as a part of this project where we build upon our understanding and help us learn the good and the evil, the past and the present, uh, the balance of life. Uh, we talked to quite a bit about what a conservative is, and I, I think there's a balance in all things. And being a conservative can be really frustrating because there are times where you don't know how to explain the balance. You just know that it's wrong. And <clears throat> some people would say, uh, well, you know, sometimes you'll have a little voice in your head that says, don't do that. That's bad. Or do this. That's good. Hey, you know what? Some things are unexplained phenomenons like uh, overalls. Uh, they're really uh, crazy. But you made it to the third hour of the Burnham Project. I am your superintendent, project manager, your host of the Burnham Project. And I, I share everything that we talk about here on uh, Twitter at Take Back Liberty. You can Google, that's B-U-R-N-M Project Podcast. And find me on Spotify, App Podcast, where we... I put one together once a week, and I know this one... <clears throat> is a little late for the week and I've actually uh, considered you know maybe bumping it up and taking care of it uh, on a Sunday so that way you can start your weekend off on a Monday but hey whatever even my dog doesn't want to listen but in the very first segment we said that this uh, Black Lives Matter uh, movement you know where first I would say it's all about equality and justice but now, if I come out and say that BLM itself, the co-founder, is, is wrong, or that that movement, the head of it, is wrong, oh, man, I'm automatically, you know what, the R-word. Ooh, terrible. And you don't want to be called the R-word. That's pretty bad. You know, I think that's some hate speech itself sometimes, to call somebody that. And I'm offended at your microaggression, sir. But for those of us who aren't, but we know that this... BLM, that the, the top of it, the, the head of it, is this uh, Marxist communist ideology because they are attacking all the things that uh, the Marxists attacked in Russia and uh, the Nazis attacked in Germany because these are all anti-communist statues and anti-communist ideas and principles. And I would look at my side, the conservative side, and I would say, you know, it's not perfect, but that's where we're we're working towards being better people. And uh, you might even say that there's an evolution. It's a process. And that's the, the biggest problem is we actually define a, you know, it as an ideology, Americanism as an ideology that's being perfected. And not an evolution, but if you were to talk to a Marxist, a, a trained Marxist, somebody who's actually read Karl Marx or sat in the Marx classes or... And, and correct me if I'm wrong. If if you're a trained Marxist, correct me where I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Uh, at Take Back Liberty at Twitter, like I said, I do get on there time to time, and I I share what I read and uh, this podcast on that platform. So please uh, welcome one, welcome all, and even the haters are included in that. But Karl Marx, uh, it was b believed that this idea of capitalism that that's new, is eventually going to evolve into communism. That's the next thing. It's just the evolution of things. That that's how it's going to happen. And uh, all of his economic theories have been completely debunked. 
and and wrong and his belief that it's this evolution is another because he doesn't take into account that you know just because you're born to a uh, family of musicians that uh, you don't have to be a musician either in fact you may not like music or want to do anything with, with music at all and that's fine that's absolutely fine right but in communism that ruins the structure because only musicians should come from musical families and uh, because that would ta- that's how you'd get the best musicians, right? Get two good musicians, put them together, and then what? Hopefully you get a better musician. <clears throat> but that's just that's nonsense, I think, in some ways, because you can't just put people together and expect it to be a better system. But if I were to openly say that this idea, this, this Marxist ideology, is actually what's at the top, I would be called absolutely crazy well why don't we watch or listen I should say to somebody who is the co-founder of black lives matter the co-founder right she helped create it she runs it she organizes it she goes to all these events she is in her own words Everything that I just said that Black Lives Matter is, it's a Marxist communist movement. Now, why don't we uh, listen to her interview? Her name is Patrice Cullors. She's the co-founder. She's on uh, trnn.com. And uh, I'll let you listen to the, to the interviewer. Let me let me preface it. What he's saying is, uh, what is the ideological ideology of Black Lives Matter? So he he's he's going to ask the the co-founder, what do they believe? Let me let me put that in there for context. He was concerned, or is concerned, that uh, that there's a lack of perhaps uh, uh, ideological direction in Black Lives Matter that would allow it to be to 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 fizzle out, and as he said, um, uh, in comparison to Occupy Wall Street. Uh, as you are are advanced in your own organization, as you all are headed to Cleveland to participate in this Black Lives um, Movement conference, how do you respond to that particular critique? Again, a loving critique from an elder of the struggle uh, that some others share, uh, that I've even shared as well, to, to be frank, as a concern about... Uh, in part because of the co-optation and, and the appropriation, that, that a, a more clear ideological um, structuring might be of some value here. But how do you respond to, to, to those? So you just heard him. I know he, he, he's really trying to be very poignant. He's saying, what is, because all these people saying that Black Lives Matter doesn't have an ideological footing. What is it? Tell us what the footing is, because is it just going to fizzle out? Like uh, Occupy Wall Street, you guys remember that? They went and attacked uh, all the downtown commercial areas put all the corporate offices in line. They called it Occupy Wall Street. Put them all in line, right? Get in your place, Wall Street. Well, it kind of fizzled out. Uh, What's the ideology of Black Lives Matter? And why is it that it's not going to fizzle out? Again, loving criticisms. Um, I think that the criticism is helpful. Um, I also think that it might... um, 
think of a lot of things. The first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame. Um, myself and Alicia in particular are trained organizers. Um, we uh, are trained Marxists. Um, we are uh, super uh, versed um, on sort of ideological theories. It's not my words. Those were her words. Those were Patrice Colors' words. That's P-A-T-R-I-S-S-E, Patrice. She says, we're trained in Marxism, well-versed in ideology. The gentleman's asking, why is this Black, Ma- Ma- Black Lives Matter movement going to stick? What's the ideology? What's the purpose of it? That's when, when you want to know what an ideology is, it's you want to know what's the foundational belief and what is it working towards. They're called Black Lives Matter, and they're working towards Marxism. That's their ideology. She could have said, well, we want to make black death a thing of the past, black murder a thing of the past. We'd like to make it so that black poverty is a thing of the past. No, no, not that. That's not what she answered with. She said, Marxism, communism. Those are her words. You know, it, I said, this is, this is a communist movement. That's the only reason why you don't touch the statues of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, or you don't touch the statues of Karl Marx or John Lennon wherever they are around the world, that you destroy Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant, Reagan, Civil War memorials for the North and the South, white and black, because they were fighting for this perfect belief of freedom, of liberty. Communism doesn't uphold that at all. And neither does Black Lives Matter for that for that point. And you just heard in their own words. I I didn't take it out of context. Folks, I made this podcast because we need to understand that we have to be able to speak out and identify evil. You don't need to go out of your way to shove an ideology down somebody's throat. That I don't don't do that. But you need to have a foundation. You need to understand what communism is, what Marxism is. And if you think it's hard in, in the free market, because it is hard, life is not easy. I mean, I said Conservatism can be smooth sailing in a time or time or two, but it's also very tumultuous because you have to have the good and the bad and you have to recognize the evil because if you only know one way and you don't know the other, it might smack you because you won't see it coming. And that's really uh, you know, one of the problems of a, of a capitalist republic. The citizens become apathetic. And I, I hate to say it, but you know, I, I, I feel like this country is quite apathetic. And if the only thing I can do is a podcast, that's great. And if the only thing you want to do is share, share it. You know, I, I would encourage it. But we need to know that we're not alone. We can talk about these things. We can have a safe space, guys, gals. You know, America is a beautiful country. It's not a perfect country. But you tell me where in the world you get to have the luxuries at at a very minimum salary too. I I do not make a lot of money and I do and I'm not putting ads in this because it's free right now, right? 
I'm not some evil capitalist. I'm just following my passion and taking time away to do that. And I can afford to do it because of what the free market, what America has allowed to prosper. And I get to have my own belief system and you get to have your own belief system and not enough people stand up and fight for that. Because on the other side, you have Patrice at the head of BLM trying to tear it all down. Because they're, they're well-trained, they're well-versed in Marxism and ideologies. They're, it's a Marxist movement. Karl Marx, the failed economist, all of his predictions failed. Maybe he was a success in the fact that he's, his ideology has been turned into the North Star for some. And we really need to take the opportunity to just, just learn a little bit about it. It's okay to read about your enemy. That's why I invite them to come listen on the show. And, and don't you forget, if you are a Marxist, you are my enemy. We can behave socially, and I hope we do in public, but your ideolo- ideology would seek to destroy me, whereas mine would just leave you alone. But know that your potential... Really, I think it's uh, not just potential for harm and destruction, but your lack of virtue would crush many. Because that's what communism has. It's a massive lack of virtue. Because it's sacrifice for the greater good. That's that's why they can kill over 100 million within a 100 years. A million people a year. A million people a year. Easily. Communism has killed a million people a year. It's quite devastating when you think about that. That's two, that's two American civil wars every year. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to understand evil. We have to to speak out against it. And, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to be that that shiny knight riding on a horse, uh, storming the castle. But it is important for us to to recognize evil and uh, to find ways to teach the younger among us how to seek for answers and to identify evil themselves and to know good and identify good. Because that's really, you know, where life is. It's about finding the good and evil. And so we're going to storm off into the sunset, guys. Thanks for tuning into the Burn Project. If you like uh, what we do here, I would strongly ask that you give us a like and share. And uh, take care. Don't mean to rhyme, but I did. Until next week. Adios.